Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by the Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. We hope to illuminate some of the recovery process by sharing as many human stories as we can. Why, you might ask, to show that we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. Our stories become our strength. Please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. So regardless of how crappy or wonderful our opinions might be to you, they still remain opinions, nothing more. You might hear swearing adult themes and situations, as well as the tragedies humans face and walk through every day. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. Tonight's guest is Trevor. Uh, I just know him to be a pretty stand-up guy from what I've seen and heard, but one of my closest friends uh, really thinks the world of him and his partner. So, uh, And I have been curious because, well... I don't know why. I'm just curious, maybe. <laughs> Curiosity killed the cat, as they say. Trevor, thanks for coming, man. Oh, yeah, you're welcome, man. Honestly, um, yeah, really honored to be here. It's really cool, right? Like, um, I don't get a lot of opportunity to give back much nowadays. But, uh, you know, I mean, when I certainly get the opportunity to, to do so, like, um, yeah, I, I really want to participate when I can. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, so tell us about yourself, man. Uh, well, I mean, in terms of recovery, like, uh, I'm in my fifth year now of, uh, sobriety. Um, and like, Congrats. yeah, it's, oh, thanks man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Five years was huge for me. It was really cool. Like, uh, you know, obviously Charlotte, my wife gave me my medallion and you know, my two little boys were there and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, it's, it's really, really good. Like, I'm sorry. I, I missed that. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. I certainly don't have. I don't have much to complain about nowadays, mm. that's for sure. But, you know, um, <laughs> if you and I were speaking five years ago, yeah. we'd definitely be having a different conversation. <laughs> I can tell you that. Like, um, for anyone who knows me, like, uh, I've, I've been a regular member of Glenmore and of uh, Daily Reflections mm-hmm. uh, throughout my sobriety. Um, and, you know, like, I'm, I'm certainly, I did not, absolutely did not get it my first time. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll just start like at the very beginning, like um, sure. when uh, I selected to play in the CHL. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, this is obviously way back when. And um, anyways, you have to pass like just some basic physical stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when you're in Bantam, right? And anyways, I had to pass some basic physical tests, blood tests, you know, make sure I was really healthy, that kind of yeah. stuff. And anyways, um, I was selected to play in Ontario for the Peter O'Peets. Okay. And anyways, this was the There's first some famous players that played for the Peterborough Pete, hey? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of really cool guys, yeah. like if you look into it, but uh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, this is actually the first year that the Ontario Hockey League mandated drug testing. Oh, okay. Uh, in amongst the physical. So, you know, like um, God and all his wisdom, <laughs> yeah, right, selected my year for the first drug testing. And, and you know, I failed, right? And, I mean, that's pretty alarming uh, at 15, mm. you know, considering, like, the opportunity that I was getting. And, and you know, like, I just, right, like, yeah. uh, it, you know, I was very entitled. And, and just, yeah, I, I really wasn't... Uh, I guess, ready for that kind of responsibility or whatever. Mm. And then so luckily enough, I was given a second opportunity uh, the following year uh, to play in the QMJHL uh, for another team called the St. John's Fog Devils. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, long story short, I did the exact same bullshit again, mm. failed that drug test and, you know, the hockey boat sailed. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a university education as a result of my athletics, yeah. but you know, anything beyond that, like, you know, and it's funny, I shared about this the other day in uh, Daily Reflections about like having fun and stuff, right? Like, mm. you know, like I would be like playing hockey and I was not having fun. The f- I was literally just looking forward to what was going to go, what was going to happen after, oh, you okay. know, like go to the bar, meet women, like do drugs. Like that was like what, it, that was my fun. Yeah. And in the moment I could literally care less 
about what was actually going mm. on right like so, what what the game was yeah oh yeah. yeah like it wasn't fun to me anymore like yeah. my you know i was only friends with people on the team to be a social climber or like mm. you know because we would go out after and yeah it was just obviously you know i was very i don't know yeah i was pretty sick psychologically mm. uh at a young age just like lack of mentorship and all that kind of stuff but anyways yeah and i mean none of that stuff was really alarming to me at the time mm. um you know but after i failed those two drug tests my uncle got me into uh a 30-day treatment program. Uh, and really, it, it did nothing for me, right? Like, I just came out of there with, with better contacts than when I went in. You know, like, that's literally the, yeah. the what did that. Because, like, I, you know, I'm just a 16-year-old kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought it was, you know, it's the normalest thing ever, yeah. right? Like, and I was a victim of circumstance. You know, like, if two guys get pulled over on the road for drinking and driving... You know, yeah. like the al- the non-alcoholic says, oh, God, why did I have that second drink? Like, I shouldn't have done it. And the alcoholic will say, like, oh, well, I clearly shouldn't have taken that road. <laughs> you know, like, I should have <laughs> taken the interstate, right? Like, yeah. you know, and that was, like, my scenario back then. It was, like, yeah. it wasn't, like, geez, drugs and alcohol are a problem. It was, like, shit, I just got caught. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I should have tried to do something else, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I went throughout my... um teenage years just just like a party guy right like Mm -hmm. you know like i mentioned i was able to get into university and and you know the the stuff with um police and whatnot it was like pretty constant Mm -hmm. but not like you know really really bad um like in my early 20s like after i graduated from university um you know i used to have a saying right like it wasn't a good weekend unless the cops were involved and uh yeah 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 and so i mean like that was again right like that was that was where it all started for me but you know drinking was still pretty social like i still had my like life together at that point in time like um you know girlfriend job house like all that stuff was Mm -hmm. still there um but man like this is when i really started to circle to drain like you know um my coke habit increased from like just being recreational on the weekends to now, you know, in the morning, I would get up, do a key bump up each nostril, go to work, have two beers. And, like, I'm suffering from 8 to noon because, mm-hmm. like, all I can think about is the two beers that, wor- is the two beers that I'm going to, like, chug at lunch. Mm-hmm. And then get off around 3.34, book at home. And, you know, uh, I used to make my own wine, right? And I used to drink a lot of wine because I don't have a problem mm-hmm. because it's wine. Right. And so you made it. Yeah. And, you know, so I used to make my own wine. And, you know, if that didn't do the trick or if, like, you know, I didn't have enough kind of thing, like, you know, if the batch wasn't ready, I would pick up a liter and a half of Jackson Triggs Merlot, which, you know, is the bottom of the barrel when it comes to (laughs) to wine. And, anyways, yeah. So I'd down a liter and a half of wine throughout Mm -hmm. the night and, you know, start the cycle all over again. Right. And, you know, it was interesting. Like, I went through some trauma and whatnot um, as a child, and I dealt with a lot of it through drugs and alcohol. Mm. But, I mean, when I was in my early 20s, like, it was, you know, it wasn't present in mine. It was just for whatever reason, like, you know, uh, that coping mechanism, like, really, really stopped. And then the coping mechanism just became my life, Mm. right? Like, you know, and like I mentioned, like, I was a daily cocaine user, daily drinker. And then on the weekends, right, like I would just stay up from Friday to Sunday, you know, through avenues of drugs. And, uh, yeah, just essentially continue to burn my life to the ground over and over and over via, you know, just I what I thought was just normal behavior, like going out with friends and, you know, crashing vehicles, getting, you know, impaired, ending up with charge you know things along those lines like that would really make the average person like sit back and like take a look at themselves and me it was just another weekend Mm. you know uh and it was never the booze never the drugs it was my job yeah or it was my girlfriend or it was i didn't make enough money or it was my parents or it's the crap that happened to me when i was a kid Mm. you know things along those lines right it was never the booze and the coke it was always the external environment right and um you know (sighs) I, I'm I now right in hindsight um I truly see a lot of divinity through that mm-hmm. like because I mean I'm I'm here number one and I've lost a lot of people on the way like yeah. I mean um I have a gratitude list next to my computer 
um, in my office and it's got 13 names on it. Mm. And that's 13 guys that like I grew up with essentially that aren't here today as a result of, you know, suicide or, you know, driving behind the wheel and, you know, dying or, Mm. you know, overdosing. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, a really, really good buddy of mine who I knew before recovery just passed away recently and, you know, his funeral is on January 19th. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, you know, it's, you know what it's like, David, you've been around for long enough to realize that too. Right. But, you know, like, so I see lots of divinity in that because I, you know, I'm alive, but, um, when I was at my absolute worst, like, um, you know, and I shared this at a meeting level too, um, I would sit in a hot bath on Sunday nights and like, you know, because I try and sweat everything out to go to work sensibly Mm. on Monday morning. Um, so I, you know, and I had a cocktail of sleeping pills and I drink, you know, a liter of wine after I sweat out all the booze and drugs from the weekend. And I used to sit there in my tub and I'd spin my hunting knife on the side of the bathtub every Sunday night, you know, and like literally coaching myself to just do it, Mm. you know, like not because I I certainly had no reason not to at that point, you know, I couldn't see it. Yeah. Right. Even though I don't, you know, wonderful parents and, you know, a loving relation, you know, I had lots of gifts. Right. But like I could, you know, drugs and alcohol had mm-hmm. taken that vision from me. Right. Um, so, yeah, I used to sit in the sit in the bathtub, spinning my hunting knife and just, you know, it's tonight, the night that I slit my wrists and go to sleep or will it be next week? Mm-hmm. You know, and by the grace of God, it never happened. But, you know, it, it there's. Yeah. So I see the divinity in that. But anyways. When I was at my worst suicidal-wise, depression-wise, um, a really, really good friend of mine that I played hockey with, went to university with, um, he and I were on different paths, we'll say. And anyways, he was in med school out here at the University of Calgary mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ended up uh, getting diagnosed with testicular cancer mm. at uh, 26. So anyways, um, you know, <laughs> the healthcare system in Newfoundland is obviously far and away not what it is here in Calgary. So he chose to stay here in Calgary to seek treatment. And anyways, um, me and another friend decided to move to Calgary to just support him Mm -hmm. through that treatment process, right? And, you know, my intentions were good back when we made this decision. Like they really were, right? Like, you know, it talks about a lot of the stuff in the big book, how, you know, like Jay Walker, for instance, or like, you know, I had good intentions you know, in the beginning, but then literally like (coughs) me and my friend Johnny moved here and we were here, I think a week, you know, helping Rich out and stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, like Friday night came and it was like, oh, I didn't know anyone really, you know, a few Mm -hmm. people here and there, but, uh, my friend Johnny knew a few more people than I did. And so we were like, oh, just, let's just go for a few beers to this house party in Martelloup. Right. And I was really here to change my life. Like I was really here to change my life, you know, and I thought that my friend's cancer was the crux Mm -hmm. of what was going to, you know, kind of catapult me into into something better. And, um, you know, so, yeah, of course. Right. I have no idea about alcoholism or any of this nonsense. So like, yeah, man, let's let's go to this place in my loop and we'll have a beer and, you know, whatever. I can have a beer like fuck. Like I I drink 24 every other night of the week. So. (laughs) You know, um, so yeah, we went to this house in Martelloup and um, I've, I think I had like two beers and I was lined up to, you know, use the bathroom. And of course, two girls and a guy came out of the bathroom. And I mean, you know, and I'm a drug addict. I know exactly what the three of them are doing in a one person bathroom, you know, like, so yeah, like I went in, did my business. And then when I came out, I found the dude and sure enough, he was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that was, that set the course, right? Like, you know, from there on, I was essentially asked by my friend Richard's family not to, you know, be involved with his care anymore because mm-hmm. my own issues were, you know, like I, I went right back to being a daily cocaine user mm-hmm. essentially, right? And like, I mean, here's my friend who's, you know, who has since passed as a result of this, right? Mm-hmm. And who was going through an incredibly, incredibly difficult time who I was trying to support and I ended up just, you know, becoming a drug Mm -hmm. addict degenerate again right so you know i was politely not asked sorry politely asked not to attend the funeral and you know yeah like 
again, right? Like my life just continued to spiral and, you know, the good people that were in my life started to really, really distance themselves. And I just, again, surrounded myself with friends who were bar owners, bar managers and drug dealers, Mm -hmm. right? Like all the guys that I graduated from university with, anyone that I had any kind of hockey background with, anyone that was like a decent human being was like, man, you know, hands off that guy, right? Like Mm -hmm. I get invited to your stag, but like your wife was making sure I was not going to your wedding. (laughs) You know, that was the kind of dude I was, right? So um, I ended up meeting a girl at the dog park, my now wife. Um, And anyways, it was interesting. Like, you know, again, right? The divinity is all throughout my story. Uh, And (coughs) we were, and like, I have no idea why she would talk to me. Because, you know, I would have two beers at the end, after work and go walk the dog. So, I mean, I definitely reeked of alcohol when I would chat with yeah. her and stuff, right? But anyways, you know, throughout, like, I think the first three months of just us politely saying hello to each other and whatnot, one day we just timing, we ended up walking in fairly close proximity to each other. And um, I was telling her about how hungover I was and like just, you know, like stuff that you should not be telling a woman that you're interested in. But like, hey, you know, like that's where I was in life. But, um, you know, and she mentioned that she was in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought, oh, geez, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. but like that's really good for you. You know, that's really neat, right? Like, and Good on she, you. Yeah, and she was like, would you ever be interested in going to a meeting? Yeah. And I'm sure at this point, she had no romantic interest in me. Yeah. This was her 12 step. <laughs> she was doing service work, right? It's like, I was not anyone yeah. that would be like, you know. It sounds like her 12 step work with you, like kind of geared up over the course of a month, eh? <laughs> yeah, like it was, she definitely knew that I needed meetings, right? So, and it's cool. Like, so anyways, um. I was like, yeah, like, I'll go to a meeting to support you. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, anyways, I show up at a meeting and, like, I'm hungover, right? And I'm just sat there and, like, everyone is, you know, telling their stuff. And I was just baffled because I used to, I, again, I had no idea what service work or anything was, mm-hmm. right? So, I thought the guy sitting in the chair was a psychiatrist because yeah. I'd been to some group counseling and I've been to lots of stuff throughout my tenure um you know as a result of drugs and alcohol um and you know i thought they were like a a group leader or a counselor or a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. or something and then i realized like geez like that guy's like not dressed very well to be like a medical professional yeah and you know when he talked like it really didn't sound like he was very educated i thought like who's running this like what Mm. what are people paying for this like (laughs) i was really confused about the whole thing right and and anyways then the next time I went to a meeting, it was someone different that had been at the meeting before. And anyways, like I asked her about it and she like kind of explained how it all worked, right? Like service work and there was no hierarchy or, yeah. you know, no professionals or anything. And I thought, oh, geez, like, isn't that interesting? So I thought, okay, like this is a pretty cool avenue for me to get closer to this girl, mm. right? So you know what? I'll start going to AA meetings. Uh, I'm not going to share because I don't have a problem, you know, mm-hmm. and I can still continue to use like regularly, right? Like I was still, you know, uh, doing lots of coke, drinking all the time, like, you know, continuing to fuck up my life mm-hmm. left, right and center. And uh, yeah, you know, and going to the odd AA meeting because I had a crush on this girl that I met at the dog park. Yeah. Right. And, you know, um, again, right, like the divinity is there, too, because I like when I was kind of like checking out AA because I was interested in Sharla. Um, look, you know, I, I, I really, really messed up when it comes to like my life, right? Like mm-hmm. um, it was stampede of 2011 or 2012. Like I can't really remember, but anyways, um, I'd been still up since like Thursday and this was a Saturday and of course, right, like I'm downtown, like with all my like degenerate friends who are again, like, you know, uh, not really, you know, not anyone I'd hear from Monday through Thursday. It was yeah. just, you know, when the weekend came, like we would all do drugs and drink together. So we'd gotten off the um, C train on uh, 7th Ave there next to 4th Street. Mm-hmm. So because we were going to go to the Wild Horse Saloon. And anyways, and again, right, like obviously we'd been drinking all day. Right. I was still up for the night before. So, yeah, like lots of 
lots of uh, good thought processes going through my head at the time, mm-hmm. obviously. And there was a homeless man's shopping cart um, on Fifth Street. And, you know, this homeless guy was digging through the trash and he just left his cart there. And anyways, the train was pulling in to the 4th Street station um, headed east. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to take the shopping cart throw it in front of the C train as it was coming into mm-hmm. the station. And of course, you know, the good coordinated athlete that I am, I timed it perfectly and this the shopping cart went under the C train, everything exploded, the C train came to like a halting <laughs> stop and shortly thereafter I was arrested. <laughs> right? And um you know it was you yeah 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 and like you know just to you can imagine like no one was exactly lenient on me uh because of that shit like you know because that was probably the dumb you know like i i messed up a lot of people's lives because i'm an idiot you know not like yeah there was no there was no victim of circumstance there it was just literally like that was really stupid what you did um you know so i mean like and I used to think that being under arrest was optional. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, right, when I'm dealing with the police officers after that incident, uh, I wasn't exactly, um, yeah, compliant mm-hmm. to a lot of stuff. So I ended up getting the crap kicked out of me while handcuffed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, thrown in the back of paddy wagon, you know, and, and yeah, so I had to go through all the legalities of that uh, through the court system and whatnot because... Yeah, you know, I mean, again, right? I really, really, really needed to be brought to my knees in this for this to yeah. really kick in. So, I mean, after I after that incident, like, um, yeah, it was things were pretty dark there, right? Like, I mean, I was on the skids at work. Obviously, I mean, like, you know, me and Charlotte were not even talking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I was pretty low, but you know. Um, I think that was then when I started to realize that like drugs and alcohol, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go a little deeper into the story. When I was in the back of that paddy wagon after I'd been, you know, obviously had the shit kicked out of me and, you know, been locked up, I was lying on the ground and I looked up and I said, God, what am I doing here? Like, and what am I doing with my life? You know? And like, I was a, total atheist like i was a violent agnostic like i absolutely hated spiritual people that they were stupid i hated organized religion like you know i was as non-believing as you can imagine and you know what for whatever reason those words came out of my mouth <laughs> and you know shortly thereafter right like um when i was going through the legal situation uh the judge and my parole officer at the time obviously supervised my conditions and I had to attend AA. Mm. You know, they recommend, well, sorry, I had to stay sober and drug free as well. But I mean, mm. there's really no true way to monitor that. But I had to prove that I was going to AA. So, you know, I had my little court book and I was like meeting up with my PO on a regular basis, showing that I was attending meetings. Again, still not sharing, still not doing any of the work, no sponsor, just tick, you know, ticking off the boxes, right? But again, I was at least at a willingness point where I was abstaining from alcohol Mm -hmm. because I realized that like I was fucking my life up big time as a result of this. Right. So um, I I managed to do that for three months and then went on a business trip to Edmonton and the whole way there, like I'm salivating. Right. Because I'm out of Calgary now. Like, mm. you know, no parole. <laughs> not like No one's going to know what I do up here. Parole is only good in Calgary. Yeah, yeah, man. Like exa- it doesn't extend. No, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, so anyways, it was, um, yeah, the whole way to Edmonton, I was salivating because like a good buddy of mine that I played hockey with back in the day, um, he worked uh, for another similar company like mine up in Edmonton. And, you know, we were going to get together. I had, I had business um thursday friday and monday and so of course i went up early because i wanted to get a crack at the weekend and you know kind of see what was going on and uh yeah so me and marty met up for a beer and like i had every intention of just having one beer because i'd been sober for three months i thought one beer is you know i thought that like that meant something right that i had 
mm-hmm. finally quash this. You know, I didn't want to do drugs. I, did, I just wanted to go for a beer with an old buddy. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, again, right, if you know anything about alcoholism, one turned into 10, which turned into, you know, an eight ball, which turned into, you know, I woke up on Tuesday, my work vehicle was missing, wallet was missing, cell phone was missing, right? Like all this ridiculous trauma had erupted as a result of that one beer that I thought I was going to have on Thursday, yeah. right? And so, I mean, I, I was really lucky because where I'd been attending meetings on a regular basis, um, I'd heard about like the disease concept and not having to, not being able to stop and so on and so forth, right? And um, I realized like, wow, man, like that one beer, like just essentially fucked up my life, mm-hmm. you know? So I had to come back to Edmonton. I mean, and this is after finding my truck, which had been towed and impounded, you know, having to, you know, answer at work as to why I had all these extravagant expenses, why I was up there for two extra days, you know, like, just on and on and on and on, right? Like I just had to cover up, you know, because I wasn't honest at this point. I just had to cover up everything, right? Like mm-hmm. because, you know, again, I probably would have gotten canned at the time. But, uh, you know, that's when I was really licked, right? Because I was just, you know, when I drive back from Edmonton, that was when emotionally I'd finally kicked the bucket, right? Like I was, I, I realized like, wow, like one beer is continuously ruining my life, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I came back to Calgary that night, uh, I went to a fiver at Glenmore. And, you know, and again, this is, I'm just satisfying conditions, right? Like, you know, yeah, I'm pretty emotionally low, but uh, I don't know what to do, right? So again, I'm just at a meeting to, to satisfy whatever. And um, there was a, an older lady there by the name of Jackie. And, you know, I got asked to share. And, of course, I just spew on and on nonsense. Like the topics could have been step one, step five and spirituality. And I just shared about, you know, me. Right. And I'm sure I shared about me for probably 20 minutes, <laughs> you know. like. <laughs> and anyways, the, and God bless her. Like this lady came up to me at the end of the meeting. And she said, do you know what your fucking problem is? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, like, I mean, I keep getting caught when I should, (laughs) you know, like, why can't I just like abstain, you know, like, I I didn't again, right? Like, and she said, you're just not willing to do the fucking work. And I was like, well, you know, if someone could tell me what the work was, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. Right. And she said, well, I'm going to give you your sponsor and he's going to tell you what the work is and you're going to do it if you actually want to do this. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So I took the guy's name and his number and then he had me meet him at like this like meeting way down in the southeast. So, right, like, you know, and again, like, I'm still not totally willing yet because I'm like arrogant about how far I got to drive, you know, to meet this guy. And anyway, so, yeah, we go to the meeting and we have a chat after and he's like, OK, like you're going to go through the big book with me and another guy. Um and, you know, we're going to start tomorrow. And it was Thursday, mm-hmm. you know. So, he wanted me to meet him on Friday night at his house and and go through the big book. And then it gets even better. He said, yeah, we're going to do it Friday and Saturday nights because I want to get you through super quick. And I was like, wow, you know, don't you know who I am? Like, I got <laughs> stuff to do on Friday and Saturday nights, right? Like, I'm a celebrity here. Like, totally. Yeah. So, anyways, but, like, I was afraid of this little lady. So... <laughs> I met up with him and uh, his name is Al. He's a former counselor at 1835. And, you know, I always got my life and that's why I name drop him. But, um, you know, so, I mean, we met at Al's little basement apartment in Marloop and uh, him and another gentleman. And it's unfortunate. I don't remember the other guy's name, but um, he was a good dude. And anyways, yeah, so they took me through the big book mm-hmm. and, you know, we did the first 104 pages as it's written out of the big book and you know we sat around in a room just like this and read a paragraph talked about it read a paragraph talked about it read a paragraph talked about it and I mean like I had no idea what I was talking about Mm -hmm. like I'd just sit there and but you know the one thing that Al was so good about was he would always stop and be like can you relate like does this happen in your life like 
do you understand what this is? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like he was really, really good about that. And the other thing that he was like beyond um, overzealous about was like service, mm-hmm. right? Like when he opened the book, and I even do this with my sponsees, right? Like when he opened the book, it was in the foreword. Like we didn't start at page one, like we started in the foreword. And it's at the top of, I believe, the fourth page in the foreword. And it says, vital to permanent recovery is strenuous work with another alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like a good sponsor, he got me to, he threw a dictionary at me and said, look up strenuous. So he made me look up. And again, right, like my ego is still huge, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I should, what the fuck, why are we doing this? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, so he made me look it up and, and read it out loud, you know. And he said, I want you to remember that because, you know, it's going to, you need to work to maintain your sobriety. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like going to the gym or doing whatever. Like, you know, you're not just going to be given this and then off you go. Right. So anyways, uh, he and I and the other gentleman went through the first 103 pages of the big book. And, you know, after that, he made this agreement with me like, you know, OK, we just did this with you. And now you have to help me um, go through with another guy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, like, no way, right? Again, right? Like, I had no willingness. But I was like, ah, like, yeah, I guess. Like, sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I mean, shook hands. And I w- I graduated from 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well done. Uh, yeah, I know. And I thought, you know, my life was set, right? I was going to go out and start dating Miss America and get a better job. And, right? But, like, lo and behold. Oh, like, dreams. I know, right? Lo and behold, uh, you know, Al called me, like, the following week. And he said, yeah, yeah, you got to come back to my house on Friday night because we got another new guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Like, I just spent, like, three months at your house on Friday and Saturday night. It's like, what are you talking about? You know? But, like, again, you know, it's divinity, right? Because it was beyond my control at this point. Even though I wanted nothing to do with this guy and being at his house, taking another guy through the big book. There I sat, mm-hmm. right? And this is like total, like this is when God really started to do for me what I could not do for myself yeah. because my head wanted to be everywhere but there on Friday night. Mm-hmm. But somehow physically I was sat in that living room going through the big book with another newcomer, Yeah, you know? And, you know, slowly but surely, like I think that year we took probably like four guys through the big book. And, you know, I I was starting to notice like, you know, geez, like, my relationship is getting better with Sharla because I'm not screwing it up every weekend. Mm-hmm. Work is like going really, really well because instead of being there two days a week, I'm actually there now five days a week. Yeah. Feel really good like in the gym, like, you know, because, you know, my heart is actually starting to recover from the lack of cocaine and, <laughs> and you know, not being hung over all the time. Yeah. Like, geez, you know, I feel pretty good. Sleep is better self-esteem is better suicidal thoughts are not really present. you know like Mm -hmm. inside my first year i I noticed immense improvements in my quality of life just purely based upon the fact that like i was not drinking or using Mm -hmm. and i was doing lots of service work right and again like i had not really made that connection yet like i just thought like geez you know like not partying on the weekends is really paying off Mm -hmm. right but it was actually the fact that i was like giving back Mm-hmm. you know and then i mean i took my first year and like life you know i have to say has really exponentially improved since then you know mm-hmm. like i don't want to fast forward through any of those years but i mean like i've dealt with lots of stuff in my sobriety like lots you know and i mean i've seen people go out and drink over head getting a flat tire mm-hmm. and i mean like i've had to watch my mother battle cancer i've had to watch my older brother die you know i've had to watch friends pass away like you know mm-hmm. like i've i've like my youngest son has a, a congenital heart defect mm. like i've dealt with heavy shit in sobriety mm. and um the last thing that i want to do is drink do mm-hmm. you know and again right like it, it it has to do with that relationship with my higher power because i am by no means a poster child for aa mm. you know by no and i don't think anyone is but i mean yeah. it's certainly not me um but yeah i mean like the last thing when i face trials and tribulations in my day-to-day life the last thing that comes to my mind is booze or drugs, mm. right? The first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, like, how do I deal with this? Yeah. You know, because before, like, I, and again, right, like, I got two university degrees, well-educated individual. Mm-hmm. 
I would ha- get the smallest problem in my life and have absolutely no coping mechanism on how to deal with yeah. it. Right. Like I've, I've shared this in a meeting before. Like um, I had a leak in my upstairs bathroom mm-hmm. and it was right above the living room in my house. And this is when I was drinking and using. So all I did was I fixed the leak and I cut the jip, the, the wet jip rock out of the ceiling mm-hmm. and thought that that was great. You know, because I literally could not find the time because all the drinking and partying yeah. and I was hung over so much. I could not find the time to throw an extra piece of chip rock up there. I was just literally content to sit there and look at the, the yeah, look at the hole, you know. <laughs> and I mean, like now I'm at a point where, right, like I have a small business. I have a full-time job. I have two young children, mm-hmm. wife, dog, right. I have all these things that like, you know, obviously present the, a level of uh, – you know engagement and i'm Mm -hmm. able to do all that stuff right because you know i've come from the guy who literally couldn't patch a hole in the ceiling Mm -hmm. to like now i have like a lot of balls in the air that i'm able to to deal with and it's all as a direct result of sobriety right like i mean i came into aa massively in debt obviously on the coattails of some legal situations uh you know and with really no connection to any close friends or family Mm -hmm. and you know i've regained all that back purely through Alcoholics Anonymous right Mm -hmm. like I can't you know and I who knows when I was 17 years old in that treatment facility if I'd been willing maybe that would have worked right or maybe the cognitive behavioral therapy or maybe the therapy maybe the therapist or whatever if I'd been willing along those Mm -hmm. lines maybe that stuff would have worked but the I I showed up willing essentially at Alcoholics Anonymous so that's what worked right was I was willing at that point in time so I mean, like, yeah, like, like I mentioned, like my life is really, really good today. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it's trouble free. It's because I just have a realization now on how to solve a problem when it gets presented to me, yeah. you know, and I've only been given that through Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And, and you know, I mentor, mentioned earlier, like I, I had a lack of mentorship mm-hmm. as a child and as a youth and stuff. And I mean, now it's like, you know, I get a, I got a Rolodex of mentors mm-hmm. right yeah. like guy, you know if i if i have a business thing i got a guy you need to talk to if mm-hmm. i got a relationship thing i got a guy i can talk to mm-hmm. if i got a spirituality thing i got a guy i can talk to you know and it's and it's all all quality advice and i mean like it's interesting how AA is like the great equalizer right like mm-hmm. when i'm at a meeting like these are not people that i would associate with in any other realm yeah but i sit there and i'm afterwards i'll probably end up talking to the most unlikely person Mm -hmm. that i you know like it's just really interesting how it transcends age gender uh you know race all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. like aa transcends all of that and i'm just able to connect with people on you know common cause right so i mean yeah like and i you know it's just like we were chatting before like now I mean, I, I used to go to two meetings a day. I did 90 and 90. Like, mm-hmm. I was a meeting guy, right? And I mean, like, now, like, obviously, you know, I mentioned how full my life is. Uh, you know, I'm not there as much as I used to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but again, like, that just pushes me more towards my higher power and, uh, you know, my reliance upon God because, you know, a meeting room is not always there for me, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when it's four o'clock in the morning and two of my kids are up and you know my wife Mm -hmm. is upset because they're not sleeping and you know i got to get up you know in an hour to get ready for work you know like there's lots of hectic situations where i can't run out the door to a meeting Mm -hmm. right but i gotta rely on my higher power and then then you know that's really what what life has brought to my plate now is that like i've i've really gone from that my meetings are a higher power more so now to you know, I actually have a reliance on a higher power, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's really cool, honestly. Like, I mean, I I don't, you know, I obviously don't have any idea who's listening or or you know who has any kind of interest in my story. But you know, if there's one thing I can sell about sobriety and recovery is that you know I have absolutely no regrets mm-hmm. regarding it, none, right? Like, I mean, and I can tell you, five years ago when I slithered under that door. You know, mm-hmm. my first, I had lots of regrets. I had plenty to mm-hmm. regret. Now I don't, you know, and I mean, like, that's for me, that's the true 
uh, transition into the quality of life that I have today, right? Mm -hmm. Is that like, I don't live in constant regret. I don't live in constant fear. I don't live in constant remorse. It's the, you know, I get up every day now and I seize life Mm -hmm. because it's a gift, you know, and I get to see that now, whereas before life was a burden, like Mm -hmm. it truly was, you know, like I was burdened by existence. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm, I'm captive by existence. I love life, you know, like my mm-hmm. children are just learning to speak sentences. Like I can't even tell you how amazing it is when my two and a half year old looks at me and says, daddy, bananas are so tasty, mm-hmm. right? Like that is, you know, like that is sweeter than any drug, any amount of money, mm-hmm. right? Like listening to that sentence, right? And I get to experience that hundreds of times a day. <laughs> You yeah. know, and yeah, it's it's just a really good life now, right? Like I I can't even reflect on it mm-hmm. how good it is. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah it's good to hear. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, it's really good. Right on. So what do you got going on now, man? What's this new business? So yeah, like um and it, so alcoholism and drugs robbed me of all my interests, right? Like yeah. you know, my father was a big motorcycle guy. Uh growing up, I always rode dirt bikes. And then, you know, throughout my late teens into my early 20s, that all went away because, you know, it's pretty hard to ride when you're yeah. still up or drunk or whatever, right? <laughs> uh, but anyways, you know, obviously when I cleaned up, uh, you know, I got back into riding, ended up getting back into racing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like essentially, yeah, now like that's like my outside of the gym, like, you know, the track is my second mm-hmm. part of my life, right? And um I've always just been a big enthusiast, like always just loved motorsports. Um, and, you know, it just got to the point where, uh, well, it was, you know, that hobby costs a lot of money, mm. you know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's not you know, anything with wheels is going to bankrupt you essentially. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I, there's a, a lady at work who, who bought a motorcycle last summer and I was just teaching her some basic stuff like this, mm. how you change the oil, this is how you tighten the chain. That kind of thing. And then um, one of her friends wanted the mm-hmm. same kind of information. Like, so I helped that her friend. And then that trans, you know, just essentially transcended an idea. Like, you know, maybe I should start like a formal classroom course mm-hmm. where we're teaching people the maintenance on their motorcycles. So, I mean, and obviously that goes far beyond my education. So I started this little company called Dirty Jeans DIY. And I uh, partnered with a Red Seal journeyman motorcycle mechanic. So, I mean, everyone's insured and liable and whatnot. Mm. <laughs> it's not just like my secondhand advice, right? Like, it's very much professionally. Uh, Uncle Trevor's basement yeah, advice. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> like, you know, and it's, it's very, very much on the, the professional side of things. Mm. So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we teach a course the last weekend of every month. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, we gear it mostly towards women. But obviously men or, or, or anyone is, is welcome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we mostly target the marketing and the sales towards uh, women because we found, and this is obviously not a, well, yeah, it is a dig at men. Um, you know, guys know it all. We can take it, man. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah. The, the, and it's funny, right? Like the guy that I've partnered with, he's a, a, a mechanic here locally in the city. He has been for quite a number mm-hmm. of years. And anyway, so like when we do like trade shows and whatnot, right? Like uh we'll talk to women are always like they're like just showering us like this is amazing i can't wait to take a course this mm-hmm. is just what i need like it's um you know it's very uplifting well it's empowering for them absolutely yeah. right it's very much empowering you know because yeah. they don't need to rely on a man in their life yeah. to do this stuff um but like we'll talk to the guys and like oh I know all this stuff. And they'll like throw the pamphlet back on the table. God, we're so terrible. And no, no, Hunter, right? Like my partner will pick up the pamphlet and he'll be like, I've seen your bike. I've worked on it. You need to take this course. Yeah. Right. And like literally the guys will be like, oh, cause he has, he like, you know, they're his customers. And he's yeah. like, no man, like you need, you need this. Like, yeah. yeah like, you know, <laughs> look, if you walk around the corner, I'll give you the pamphlet so you can sign up for the course. Right. Like, you know, so you don't yeah. damage your ego here in front of us. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so I mean, that's what we're doing now and it's gone really, really well. Like, um, you know, I, I, it's not my full-time job by any means. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a very successful career in the restaurant industry, but, uh, you know, this is just a really cool side gig because it's something I'm truly passionate about. Right. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, again, right. It's just another avenue. It's something for me, right. It's, it's something I want to hand down to my kids, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're like super, super interested in motorcycles now. 
Of course um, they are. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Like it's awesome. It, it's really, really cool. Like they love it. Like if they're ever being disruptive in the house, I'll say, Oh, like, do you guys want to go out on to the garage and ride the bikes? And like, oh yes, daddy, yes, daddy. So like we'll mm. like go out to the garage and like I'll unlock it and they'll run over and climb on the bikes and like that's what they do, right? And mm-hmm. they twist the throttle and go vroom vroom and like they think it's the coolest thing ever, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, just it's just a re- it's something I'm very, very passionate about and, and you know, it's something I'm going to involve my children in and hopefully mm-hmm. it grows into something bigger or whatever. Like, you know, I have no expectations with it. I just know that, you know, it's something that's in my heart and for whatever reason i feel like that's what i should follow cool you know well i think that's part of what like recovery is all about is figuring out what our heart needs and and going after that right like totally man like i mean and i say to all people all the time right like i was a person who lacked severe purpose right like and Mm. i had a a a huge like god-sized hole in my heart that i tried to fill with you know booze and drugs right mm-hmm. and you know I, fir- I was first able to fill it uh, you know through sobriety and i mean now like truly like you know I, my purpose is in my children mm-hmm. you know like that's really what it is like you know i can't people say oh you know don't put anything up ahead of your recovery that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. i mean like you know what like th- you could have a gun to my head with mm-hmm. a bottle of alcohol in front of me you know, and I wouldn't take it, not for me, yeah, but for my children, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and it's so, yeah, like, you know, I do put them ahead of everything else because they're my purpose in life, right? They're the reason I get up in the morning, they're the mm-hmm. reason I go to work, like, you know, it just is what it is, right? Like, like, yeah, I can't, can't get into it enough how much I love my two little boys, right? <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, that's amazing though, man. And that, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And, and for me too, it's really important that like I break the cycle of like, you know, the domestic problems that I saw mm-hmm. growing up as a child and, and, you know, the things that like I was exposed to at a young age, I mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have been like, that's, that's something I'm really passionate about as well, because I mean, you know, I'll just share briefly on, uh, right. Like me and my younger cousins used to crush up rockets and snort them so we could be like our parents. Rockets. Yeah. What? You don't remember what the were rockets. No, you don't remember this candy that used to be in, it was like in a foil wrap, not a foil, like a, like a clear foil wrapper. I still make them today. I can't believe you do know they, what rockets are. I probably do if I saw it, but oh, I, okay. Anyways, like, yeah, we used see, to crush it up. And yeah. We used to, yeah. And we had no idea what cocaine or anything like that was. Yeah. We were just, you know, like my dad and his brothers and stuff used to hang out in the garage all the mm-hmm. time. And, we just see that kind of thing and thought it was cool because they were doing it. And so, I mean, we used to replicate it. And I mean, you know, uh, yeah, the police were at my house quite often as a child growing mm-hmm. up as a result of my father's drinking and whatnot. And so that's what essentially normalized it for me. Right. So yeah. that's why now I'm like so passionate that like my children are not exposed to any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to grow up in a loving environment with me and their mother. Uh, you know, there's not going to be police involvement. There's not going to be, you know, drugs or mm-hmm. drinking. You know, it's going to be, yeah, like I want to set them up as much as I can for a mm-hmm. successful life, right? Like, and, you know, even though I really wasn't given that chance, whatever, like, you know, I've made peace of that. And I'm at the point in my life now where, you know what, like that's whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't change those circumstances. So I've just accepted it. And, right and you know, it's, it's, it's really what's, you know, helped me out so much is that acceptance because i mean that was what kept me sick for so long is that i wanted to change that right so yeah that's cool man it's interesting that when you came in it was after a girl too actually oh that's what got me through the door man she went back out and i stayed yeah yeah, Yeah. well you know i'm blessed right because obviously charlotte's celebrating eight years in recovery oh congratulations and yeah like you know it's right like and and yeah like she has stayed as well and i mean you know, it's, yeah, yeah. But like, again, right, it's divinity. I wouldn't have came into AA for anything else, right? Same like, here, man. Literally, like, yeah. court systems, like, I'm going to jail, Yep. right? Like, I could be sitting in a penitentiary and I wouldn't be going to an AA meeting. That's right. Right? Like, they'd be like, Trevor, you could literally get out tomorrow if you just go to this one AA meeting. I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Unless there's a hot piece of ass. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I mean, right? Like, so, you know, it's, it <laughs> is, it's, it's just that divinity, right? That, like, yeah. God obviously knew that I would chase a girl into a mm-hmm. meeting room and that's how i was first exposed yeah. to the program right yeah so yeah and when i said that hoppy's ass i was ref- like referring to 14 and a half years ago when i came in not this year because if <laughs> i called my partner that now 
Wait, she might actually like that. <laughs> Let's just change the subject. <laughs> but yeah, right? Like, I, you know, and I just see that divinity throughout it, right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like, again, there's no other, like, oh my God. I've yeah. been, been through family interventions, like sit downs, like, mm-hmm. you know, and none of that worked. But like, you know, this pretty blonde girl who... Tells yeah. me that she's in recovery. Oh, I'm like signing up to, <laughs> to chair meetings. Yeah, you know? totally. Like, I'll speak at Renfrew next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got right? a week sober. I'm yeah, going, man. I know, yeah. I'm not even sober. <laughs> I'd love to pour coffee and hell, you know, like, That's oh right. my God. Yeah, but whatever you can do, right? You know, whatever you can do to stay. Like, I think that's one of the things I really respect about the, the 12-step programs, specifically AA, is that no matter what you do, you get to be there. Like if you need to be there and you want to be there, you get to be there. Right? Yeah. Like there's, and, and like you mentioned earlier, like when I first came in, I sat in my first AA meeting, which was at the Garnet down in Kensington. And it was, I would never drink with those folks. Like I just wouldn't, mm. you know? And when I, that was the only thing I was thinking that night of that first meeting was like, why am I here? Yeah. But then, because I, I, like you said so much that resonates with my story, just like the, why am I here? I don't belong here. Like, I just want to be here for the girl. Like, I just, this is ridiculous. My problems are job, girl, yeah. car, finances. Those are my problems. It's not alcohol, yeah. right? Like, and uh, it's just amazing what happens, you know? Like, it's just amazing because of those simple rules, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, and that's like, it's funny, right? Like, I'm sure that I was in meetings. I know for a fact people probably could smell alcohol off my breath. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they could tell like some meetings, you know, I went to, I was still up and I'm more than sure that someone could probably tell that. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, no one ever kicked me out. Yep. Right. Like if anything, they were like telling me they loved me and they wanted me to come back, Isn't which was kind of weird in the beginning. <laughs> but you know, I mean, yeah. now, again, hindsight, right? Like, right. If someone showed up at my house in that kind of condition, mm-hmm. I'd be kicking them out. Yeah. You know, I certainly wouldn't be like, you know what? Like you need, you know, do you want to go for coffee after this and talk? Yeah. Like, it was just, yeah, like, I always love that scene in, um, you know, this the the Bill Wilson movie mm-hmm. uh, where James Woods is, like, so excited. He's like, all we need to do is love them. Like, all we need to do is love them. And he's, like, mm-hmm. so excited. And, and it's the truth, man. Like, you know, because I don't think I ever experienced, like, real love until I wound up in Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. right? Like, well, I, I'm sure I'd experienced it, but I don't think I actually accepted it. Yeah. Right? Like, it's a big difference, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, uh, I'm, yeah, it, it just, you know, that kind of thing was so foreign to me, mm-hmm. right? Because I it was, people only hung out with me to get something or I hung out with them to get something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was never like, yeah, I, I'd always look at people sideways, like, what do you want from me? Yeah, what's your angle? Yeah, yeah. And they'd be like, no, no, like, you know, just, yeah. are you going to come back tomorrow? Like, do you want to go for coffee? And Yeah. Isn't that a weird, it's a weird transition, man. Y- oh, yeah. Because, like, I mean, I would, I used to hang out at a, a, a drug house on 12th mm-hmm. Ave down in Sonalta, which is oddly <laughs> enough two blocks away from where I go <laughs> to a daily blocks. meeting now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I mean, I can tell you what. There's nobody down there that was really interested in, you know, your life story or like, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. No one wanted to talk. Nobody cared whether you were going to get better. No, it was just, hey, yeah. man, like, do you want to go in on this bag of dope? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, and that was literally it. And of course, yeah. you would talk as you were sat there at a kitchen table snorting away your life savings. Mm. But, uh, you know, you wouldn't actually make any kind of relevant connection or, yeah. y- you know, it was just such a sick lifestyle. Whereas like now, you know, like, I mean, I go for coffee for people and we actually talk about our children or our mm. jobs or our spirituality or whatever. Right. And it's like, I leave yeah. those conversations like feeling uplifted, not yeah dragged. Right. Yeah. That's an awesome, it's an awesome change. Like it's just such a big difference. Like last year, a guy's night out with me and three of my buddies, we went to um, Eckhart Tolle instead of like what we used to do, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, literally, it was the weirdest thing. And then I took a picture of all of us because I'm like, I got to kind of document this because this is weird. <laughs> this is a guy's night out now. We went for supper at Earl's. Nobody had a drink. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? There's none of that anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. My my guy's night's out, out now are usually with my two little boys. Yeah. Uh, or... They're with my buddies who also have children. Yeah. Like, and it's the same thing. Like, you so know, you're home by eight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, and you know, a lot of my close friends and stuff from, from my past have, I've come back into my life and, you know, they're all at very similar stages. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you know, I was at a baby shower recently 
And we were all stood there like, you know, 10 years ago, we'd be at the bar doing shots of Jagger, buying mm. drugs, like, you know, hitting on chicks. Like, yeah. And there we all stood in this kitchen, you know, like each one of us holding a baby and, and <laughs> you know, with a, with a tucked in polo shirt talking about our weekend at Home <laughs> Depot, you know, and it's like, man, like what happened? Oh, <laughs> like, what, what happened indeed? Yeah, I know. Like what <laughs> happened, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it, it's baffling. Like, you know, like I'm sure everyone's familiar with uh, Facebook memories. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? And yeah. like that's my favorite thing ever is when a photo of me pops up from 10 years ago. <laughs> and it's like, you know, me shirtless in a bar. Like yeah. chugging a beer or something stupid Blood like that. Blood down your chest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And like, you know, my profile picture right now is like me and my two little boys at the park. Yeah. Right. And it's like, <laughs> wow, you know, a lot happens in 10 years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or it's you and your wife walking your dog. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. You know, that's so. awesome, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm grateful that you came. I really appreciate you coming and yeah, talking thanks. to us, man. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we go, what was I going to ask about? Um, how do people get in contact with you to take one of your courses? Oh, if anyone's interested in my courses, uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and I have a website. Um, and it's dirtyjeansdiy.com, or you can look up just Dirty Jeans DIY on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, yeah, like I mentioned, the courses are the last weekend of every month. Uh, during the summer, when we get a little busier, uh, I usually do a Monday and a Tuesday evening. Yeah. Uh, of course and yeah they're only three hours long so it's super easy and yeah it's not uh, and you actually the cool thing about it is if you book the classroom course you actually get assigned a bike like it's not just a slideshow and a video yeah. and then we you know kick you out the door kind of thing um you actually assigned a bike you get taught the skill and then you have to physically demonstrate it on an actual machine right so oh, that's cool man. yeah it and, and that's like the overwhelm so i actually after the course this morning i filmed uh, three testimonials and yeah. that was like the first thing all of them said yeah. was that it's so cool like i'm not just watching a youtube video and then like praying that i get it right yeah it's that like you know i get to watch it and then a you know an actual legitimate professional is looking over my shoulder and giving me advice as i actually do it right yeah. so like yeah so that's the big thing that differentiates me there's really no one else in calgary kind of doing this anyway i was just like, thinking that i don't think i've ever heard of anything like it no because the dealers don't want you to know how to you, fix it yeah like the, the motorcycle shops yeah. aren't going to teach you this because they want to bill you for it right so i mean it, yeah shit. yeah so we're kind of different in that regard like um you know we want you to to be empowered and to know what's going on yeah. and you know, and, and that way then when you do need to take your, your bike to a shop or whatever, you make smarter decisions and yeah. you actually know what you're paying for and things along those lines, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, if anyone's interested, like I mentioned, just look up my website or, or check me out on Facebook or Instagram. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is it's a really, really cool three hours. And, I mean, everyone leaves with a smile on their face. I'm actually sponsored by a couple of local shops. Cool, uh, man. So, yeah, so they give me really sweet prizes to give away at the end of every course. So, I yeah. mean, today we gave away a helmet, um, you know, and That's like, oh, yeah, awesome. like it is, it's really, really cool. Yeah. So, you know, if you come by, check it out, um, you know, and like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing a little Valentine's Day promotion too. Oh, cool. So, if anyone wants to like drag their know it all husband along. <laughs> uh you know it'll be yeah yeah i that's yeah. that's that's my angle on it right it's because you know yeah the the guys know it all but totally you know so if any <laughs> if any ladies out there want to book the course uh yeah. yeah yeah i've got a valentine's day promo coming up cool man that's awesome thank you very much yeah thanks dave i appreciate yeah, it no problem you're welcome so i was looking at my phone here i wasn't like texting or anything what what happened was a friend of mine published his first book um last year last week i think it was so I just want to do a quick shout out to Kerry Gladue, um, who published his first book, Second Chances, uh, recently. If you're interested in that book, you can look him up on, I believe it's it's going to be Facebook predominantly. Um, I'm not sure how else to get the book. Uh, but other than that, look, if you're one of my guy friends out there, because chances are uh, the people who listen to this podcast are my friends and my family probably, because they're trying to be supportive. <laughs> and, every, and everybody else is like, yeah, another podcast by Dave. Um, but uh, so if you're listening, guy friends and brothers that I have, make sure you take this course if you want to figure out motorcycles because most of the guy friends I have ride. And like, I know that you cry about stuff and then you have to take it to a mechanic. So instead of crying about stuff, get the ego out of the way and look into um, 
Trevor's program because I can't imagine a better way to learn. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really cool. And and I feel you. The first people that liked my Facebook page were like my mom and my aunt and Mom you know, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, like that's awesome. Like, you know, and like, yeah. like, like my mother-in-law, like that was so funny. Like, oh my God, she like called me. Oh, did she? Like, oh yeah. Like, I saw your little Facebook thing. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, no, Elaine, like it's actually like a course, like, yeah. you know, and, and cause I do videos too. Yeah. And she's like, oh, like that's just amazing. <laughs> you know? So yeah, like friends and family are pretty cool. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. And all my guy friends are like, that's lame. <laughs> Like, all right, whatever. Like, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, that's lame. Yeah. Guys, we're so weird, man. We're so strange. Yeah. Anyway, guys, seriously, check it out, girls, as well, obviously. And just in time for Valentine's Day, like, what a practical gift. If you're thinking about buying a motorcycle, and I've thought about it for about 10 years, but I probably won't ever buy a motorcycle <laughs> just because my back and my leg goes numb and shit. And, like, right now, my leg, I can't feel it. So, on a motorcycle, probably not a good idea. But... If you're out there and you absolutely are thinking about it, why wouldn't you take a course to learn how to fix your own shit? Yeah, it's only 250 bucks, and the skills that we teach you, like for example, the dealership that Hunter works for, would be built out at over a grand. Yeah, you know, so like literally, you spend the 250 bucks, and yeah, you'll save yourself 750 somewhere down the road. Yeah, you know, so well, that's pretty. That's pretty much worth it. Like, oh yeah, 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 absolutely, perfect. All right, yeah, what time are we at? Exactly. Talk about divinity being involved, hey? Like as soon as Trevor walked in, we started getting more in line with the uh, the way things are. <laughs> I like yeah, it. yeah, oh yeah, no man. Like I've done, I've shared my story like probably fifty times. Yeah, and I never have anything prepared. Like yeah. no, I'm just gonna wing it, and people always get something out of it. And the so, truth is the truth, right? Well, and that's it, right? Yeah. Like, because I've been to ones where guys have had stuff written down, and this is my sickness too, right? Like, okay. and I'm like taking their inventory, and I'm like, you got that all written down because half of it's BS. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. and you know, and so yeah, like, <laughs> so like, and that's my sickness because the chances are it's not, right? Like, that individual is probably just nervous and, you know, wants to have everything laid out. Totally. In a, in a you know, factual, yeah. timeline but you know i'm still sick right so. totally so yeah so instead of us thinking oh the guy's really smart he's making sure he doesn't have to lie so he's writing down everything so i know, he does I, know it. But I know i'm with you though man like yeah. this is the bane of recovery one of the banes <laughs> that i've experienced is i'll be judging you at the same time i'm trying to love you man yeah right like it's like i'm trying not to judge because i know i got to give you love right yeah. but then that other part of the brain starts going yeah but Seriously, only people who are dishonest do shit like that. Oh, yeah. Because right? that, that was what I would do. What I would have right? done. Yeah, That's exactly right. right. That's right. I know. I know. Or like if I'll be in a meeting <laughs> and someone will be on their phone the whole meeting and I'll be sat there like just judging them, right? Like you're on your phone. Like get off your phone. Like come on. You know, is God on your – is God texting you? Like, you know, get off your phone. And then like the chairperson <laughs> will ask that person to share and the person on their phone will have like one of those moving, inspiring shares ever. And I'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll shut up and go back to my home. Now. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm just, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm like, fuck, dude, I, I'm on my phone like the whole time <laughs> some days. But I usually sit in the same row as you, so I can't see you. Oh, okay. So you're not, you're not, you're, you're judgment free. Judgment free for today, but now he's going to be looking, looking, <laughs> yeah, looking like, down the row. Yeah. I, I like it because you know what? I try to like pay attention. Because I, I try not to get on my phone as much. Like for, and you, you'll understand this because you're busy, right? So I try to go to lots of meetings too because yeah. I need them. I, I don't yeah. go for any other reason. Um, then I need to be in that presence. But sometimes work follows you in, right? And yeah. so I have a really hard time, especially if it's a noon meeting because it's in the middle of the day. Yeah. Those are the hardest ones. But even in the morning, sometimes I'll just be on there and then I'll even wonder, I'll be like, why am I on here? Like, why? What am I getting from this? Because obviously it's a distraction. Yeah. Right? And it's nothing more than avoidance of something. Yeah. Especially in that moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, I've been really blessed too. Like uh, two years ago, the the brewery put me through. Uh, I actually worked one-on-one with an efficiency expert for oh, six months. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I thought this guy and I was like, and it's the same, same thing as recovery, right? I wanted nothing to do with this guy because yeah. I'm I'm a professional. I got, you're not going to teach me anything, right? Yeah. Like, you know, why am I doing this? Uh, and man, this, 
what I took away from there was the most amazing thing ever, right? And yeah. it was because, you know, I was, I'd be wasting time on my phone yeah. or like, you know, I was always that guy to pick up a phone call or mm-hmm. to write back right away and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was never able to accomplish as much as I could have because I was the phone always was attached constantly, to it. you know, a focus. And so anyways, he was the one that really, really taught me uh, how to like, you know, Right, you don't need to take that phone call now. That's yeah. what voicemail is for. Yeah, that email, you're going to respond to it tomorrow. Yeah, you know, like stuff that was like beyond for because I'm a people pleaser, right? Yeah. Like that was beyond foreign to me. And he taught me how to, you know, I will now group my day, uh, and you know, from like one thirty to two thirty, I'll respond to all my texts. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing I do in the morning, right? I'll go into the office, and from eight to nine, that's when I respond to my emails, and I don't look at my email until the next day. Yeah. You know, and, you. and that's, and so, and the same thing, like when it comes to a phone call, if that's not a high priority person, right? I'm, my wife, number one, if she's listening, uh, you know, but like, she'll be know, one of six people listening, yeah, yeah, guarantee you, know, you know, like the CEO to my company or like a shareholder yeah. or something like that, you know, obviously that phone call gets picked up. Mm. But if it's some guy who's just calling me for some other reason, it just goes to voicemail and then I deal with it, you know, between one thirty and two thirty when I, yeah. actually do that right so it, when i group everything like that it, it's made me such more of an effective person wow and even in aa because i was the same thing right yeah. i'd be sat there answering emails text all that stuff and then it'd be like oh what what was the topic and then we're walking out the door and i didn't get anything from yeah. that right so yeah. you know it's really it's funny how that part of my professional life has really helped me in my recovery too oh, because you can see how it helped you everywhere yeah yeah it's made me actually more present right yeah well, dude, thanks again for coming, man. And I really appreciate this last bit here because I am taking quite a bit from what you just said in the last 30 <laughs> seconds, as well as everything else. But the phone thing is something that's on my mind. So like what you said was just like ringing around in my head. And I'm like, that is just like one more thing to add into the day, right? Like yep. to be, to, to just do that. Because I don't, I don't like call people back on the phone until like, a certain time, mm. right? But everything else seems to be all bets are off, right? Like emails, texts, whatever else. Yeah. Thank you for that, man. Oh, yeah. Anytime, I appreciate man. it. I appreciate you coming, man. Thank yeah, you. thanks, Dave. Appreciate cool. it, buddy. We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. Thank you, Wild Rose United Church, for your open-hearted giving to the community at large in a multitude of ways. You have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. Thank you again, Darcy Robinson. As usual, your work is incredible. Thanks for donating it to us. I am not here without each of our board of directors, Trent Baker, Todd Deer, Christine Pimiskern, Heather Morijo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. To all of the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society and now a charity, thank you. Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering from, with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and a multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. If you are interested in attending our upcoming or future groups, being a guest on the podcast, or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca, or find us on Facebook at Freedoms Path Recovery Society. If you are close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, Imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say? As for me, I'm David Lurie, and I wish you all the best, wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun, because our time here is quite limited after all.